Hey everybody, Todd here to remind you that we have a growing community over at patreon.com slash play full of listeners who get to recommend show topics, recommend guests, see site content before anyone else. In some cases, they get to pick what site content is about. If those kind of things interest you, you can check us out at patreon.com slash play. Here's the show. Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Whoa, boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundromat was my sanctuary. That arcade was my church. Okay, Stephen Tanksley, how you doing? You know, not too bad. I've been kind of busy this morning, uh, just taking care of the the house stuff before coming down to the studio. So you uh, you get to work from a home setup? Oh uh, yeah, like I've I've looked into I've looked into doing sort of more day job type things at at a regular studio, and it never seems to work out for me. So I just work from home for myself. So okay, well that's good. So. You seem pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that some, you know, it sort of comes in seasons uh, for, and I know this happens for a lot of freelancers. You, uh, you have some times where you're absolutely crushed with work and then other times when there's nothing on the horizon. Yeah. Uh, right now I have, uh, I have actually a pretty, pretty darn good day job. I work as a sample developer for outlier studios which does music and sound design work for both film and then also they develop samples for digital instruments so i get to have my fingers in a lot of a lot of audio pies which is lots of fun you had mentioned that and i looked those guys up they are uh, out in california is that right Mm -hmm. so that that's actually pretty good setup so they can drum up business out there in the uh industry area you're not in such a bad area yourself you're in uh, the chicago area is that right i am i am how do you like living in chicago (laughs) (laughs) so a couple weeks i think it was maybe just two weeks back uh i mowed my lawn for the first time uh this season and then immediately the day after it snowed about five inches (laughs) so (laughs) I mean, it's fun. I I definitely like living here. I like the fact that since I live out in the suburbs, it's kind of quiet. Yeah. I miss living in the city. I miss sort of being in the thick of things. But at the same time, I don't miss all the noise. Right. So, you know. (laughs) I I asked because I lived in southern Illinois for most of my life. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, my wife did as well. We're closer to St. Louis. Okay. And my wife actually went to med school in Chicago. And, uh, you know, so she was there several years. And she, I mean, she was like downtown, downtown. So she had all the weather, all the noise. Her apartment wasn't really sealed up properly. So it was sort of a survival situation for her. Mm-hmm. And yet she has this this deep love for the city, and uh, she always wants to set up trips to go back. And we, we do actually need to get back so she can uh, show me around and we can hang out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely if you're going to be going into the city, like find some time to, to run around in the neighborhoods because downtown is downtown. And once you've seen one downtown, you've seen them all. But like the neighborhoods are definitely where Chicago is at its best. I have heard that, and I uh, I think that's good advice. So, but you get to work with people from uh, Southern California, and they get to drum up business from every every which way. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of cool that you get to work in uh, games and film, and probably a couple other areas too. That's pretty neat. Yeah, right now I would say I have a game project that I'm working on. I have my own like solo music stuff that I'm doing, and then I've been working a lot on this sample development stuff. So that involves a lot of field recording, going out, looking like an idiot, poking microphones at weird things. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I appreciate the fact that my, my day to day is pretty, pretty varied. It's never the same thing every day. Yeah. Though like the techniques are the same, but how I end up executing that is wildly different depending on the project 
Yeah, it, it seems like actually capturing stuff for samples and things, uh, it, it's almost an advantage when someone never has to leave the studio. You've, you've got to take a lot of things into account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's this is definitely not what I what I signed up to do when I was in school. My my career trajectory sort of went off on its own. I was not expecting that I would end up in like audio for media. I thought I was going to be a performer, so <laughs> it's kind of a kind of a stretch for me to even describe what I do nowadays. Yeah, certainly for anyone who's not familiar with <laughs> these various mediums what was your uh what was your original musical background original okay so way back in the day i played the cello and then i'm like you know what cello sucks music sucks i'm never gonna (laughs) do this i hate it and then i was around 16 i got back into music got into singing for musical theater that turned into opera when i was in when i was in school and then I went to school for opera for like six, eight years. Wow. And then somewhere along the line, I'm like, wait a minute, this sucks. I'm, I'm, not <laughs> at, I'm not as into opera as I need to be in order to pursue a career in opera. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was just thinking, what can I do that is still musical that is going to sort of scratch that itch in my brain while still being like more fulfilling and something I can see myself doing. And I had composed a little bit when I was in undergrad. I composed more when I was in uh, grad school for voice. And then I took a chance on the Columbia College Chicago program in media scoring. I sent them some stuff, sent in an application, and then I got in. And that was completely mind boggling for me. I wasn't expecting to get in. So I did that. And now that's pretty much what I do all the time. You, it seems like you picked a couple of things that you can't really do casually. I I know you can't really (laughs) do any kind of music casually, but you certainly can't take up cello just for funsies and uh, have it remain low key. And then Mm -hmm. opera singing. That's incredible. The only other person I know who, uh, has modern opera training is Dr. Drew. <laughs> so, and it's, it's very, it, it's cool. I mean, it's cool that you, you've gotten to touch so many areas of uh, music and performance. I mean, I started as a band kid at age 10 uh-huh. and loved playing drums. I grew up and, and later on in high school happened to be part of a program that was like, everybody gather up your things. We're going to perform at Carnegie hall. And I'm, Oh my God. You know, wow. It was, a, yeah, that was a really incredible experience, but I sort of went the other direction. I, I, I never came to a point where I said, okay, this sucks. But I, I came to a point where I went, well, I, I don't see myself spending my life this way. You know, it's, I probably won't yeah. just live for the next performance and, and all that stuff. So I kind of had to drop it right at about high school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not a bad way to go out. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. So at, at what point during this uh, trajectory for you do you start picking up like what was the first time you did something for uh like a small film or something uh it was actually when i was in in grad school up in minnesota for voice i had taken a few composition classes and some composition private lessons when i was in undergrad and i'm like you know what this is cool i enjoy doing this i'm just gonna keep on doing that for grad school as my elective because I had some elective credit that had to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'm going to stick around with the composition seminar, took it all four semesters that I was there up in Minnesota. And the last semester we went on, I actually don't remember the exact URL, but there's a whole bunch of like really old film that's public domain from when they were just learning how to use motion picture cameras so it's like really grainy old black and white footage and it was great it was so much fun to do and my first film score i think was about 16 seconds long (laughs) and it it sounded sort of old americana ken burnsy documentary (laughs) style i mean you you know like it had sort of one of those feels and as i was going through it and watching the footage i'm like you know what 
that actually really works. And that's sort of what got me on the scoring kick. Um, Up until that point, I thought I was going to be a, a very serious classical composer. Sure. And it wasn't until people started listening to my music in class and saying, you know what? This sounds like a game score. It wasn't until (laughs) then that I sort of got the idea. Oh, maybe that's what I could be doing. And again, at the time, like I was thinking I'm going to be a very serious classical composer. And so I sort of took offense at the fact that people were saying my music sounded like game scores, but I should have just taken the hint at that point. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because it's, it's got it. Well, with that kind of training and composition, it's got to be difficult to take some stuff you hear seriously because a lot of people are tasked with composition, uh, thinking that they can sort of wing it. And sometimes that, that passes and sometimes it turns into something that maybe shouldn't have happened so much. (laughs) I mean, I can, I can definitely see that. I think that if anything, the amount of training that I've had in composition has just sort of opened my mind to the idea that what I would do is not always the only way to do things. Mm-hmm. You know, I had this huge struggle at first when I was just getting into it because I would think, okay, there's one way to solve this scene. And part of the process of going through grad school, the way that they train you to do scoring is you score the scene once and then you're supposed to pick pretty much entirely new instruments and then you score the scene again. And then you get feedback on both of those in your next class session. And then you go back and score the scene again. So you've scored it three separate ways trying to solve all of the problems that are inherent with the footage that you've been given. And what it really does is it shows you there are tons of different ways of sort of solving the same creative problem. And what I really struggled with was getting out of sort of that rut thinking that there's just one way to do it. Once you, once you get to that point and you realize, Oh my God, so many people can have a unique and creative solution to this. Like it's actually kind of freeing. It feels really good. Hmm. And you, you learn a lot about things you can be doing better by watching how other people solve the same scene. I like that. I like that mindset. It, it simultaneously makes sense, and it's also a lot to ask of someone in your position to go, uh, why don't you approach this from several different ways? And and I guess there are other practices where you do this too. Say you're designing a logo or something, but it feels much more substantial to go, score this entire thing, mm-hmm. do it again, and let's see what we like. Right. I mean, when when I was in school for for film music... I guess it's also game music, but we only address that in the second year. Um, But when I was in school for film music, what they would do is they would have you scoring that same scene multiple times. And then the other thing you would have to do is you would have to be scoring the scene from the previous week. And so some of these scenes were up to like three minutes long. So you can very easily in the space of a week be writing like, you know, nine to 12, maybe 15 minutes of music. And that's just for one class. So then there were multiple classes. You end up writing a lot of music. And the only way that you can really expand your, your horizons as a composer and as someone doing media scoring specifically is to just plow through a ton of work. You have Mm -hmm. to do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work in order to get really comfortable with sort of your niche, your approach, how you do things. And I would say I didn't even get to a point where I was feeling completely comfortable with sort of my sound until this, this last like two years. So, and I've been composing music for, for a long time now. So Mm. it feels like, you know, Every composer is trying to find their voice, find their niche, and there's no way to do it easily. You just have to do the work. Well, that makes sense. 
how long on a given pass would you say it takes you to compose 15 minutes of music? (laughs) That (laughs) really, really depends if, okay. If it's a thing where I have a really clear vision of what it needs to be from the beginning, that's simple. It feels like it doesn't take me very long. The hardest thing is where I am looking at a blank slate and I don't feel as though I naturally have a hook into the material. Like I did a thing for a streamer on Twitch. His name is Sheriff Eli. And if you've ever checked out his stream, like he's foul mouthed and wonderful, like (laughs) so much personality, just a ton of fun to watch. Sure. And he was playing the game Hunt Showdown. And immediately I have this vision in my head of a song that I want to do. So I go onto YouTube. I borrow some audio that's probably copyrighted and would get me in trouble if I posted publicly. (laughs) And I wrote this piece in maybe a day, you know, four minute long piece in, in one studio day. And I would say that's a pretty decent velocity for me. I could probably go faster, but I was looking to get this one polished. And then I sent it to Sheriff and he loved it. And it's because at that point I had a super clear vision of what I wanted. And I knew that based on both the game he was playing and his personality, like it really synced up with the personality that he was portraying in his stream because he's really a performer. Mm-hmm. He is not just himself he is the sheriff and so (laughs) when when i have that strong a concept i find it super easy um there are other things where i have had to fight tooth and nail to find some way into the material and once i get that hook then it gets a lot easier and do you find that when you're working on commissioned projects you know hey come score our game come do this and that do you find that you go back to the person very often and they had some drastic, drastically different expectation or do, does that become an issue when that happens or how do you work your way through that? Uh, I would say it, it sort of depends on the person. I've definitely had, I've definitely had projects where I go back again and again and again and you know, it just requires a ton of iteration. And then again, other projects where, I have that clear concept from the get go. I write one thing and they're like, wow, this really hits the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are a few like minor touch up things here and there. But for the most part, I get it the first time. You know, it just depends on the person that you're working with, making sure that there's really clear communication and that I have a good sense of what they're looking for at the beginning of the project. Um, one of my professors, when I was in school, he would always say that before he writes down a single note against picture, he wants to make sure that he's watching the same movie as the director. And that's something that I really think about all the time. Now I want to make sure that I am playing the same game as the developer. I want to make sure that I am, you know, viewing the same stream as the streamer is that I'm working for. So that's sort of in the back of my mind whenever I'm working. Speaking of school, what actual degrees did you walk away from? It sounds like you've got a couple. Uh, Yeah. So I got degrees in voice. I got a bachelor's and a master's degree in voice. And then my master's degree in voice is sort of where I made the pivot to composition. So I had a minor in music theory and composition. And then I went back to school again for a second master's degree in film and game music composition. Wow. (laughs) That's a good amount of training. Uh, It's a decent amount of training. I will say that if I had to do it all over again, chances are I would just get the equipment that I needed in order to do the scoring. And then I would spend a lot of time on YouTube and like going to meetups and meeting people and then actually doing the work rather than spending that time in school, I would probably do that over. I have talked to two other audio guys in, in recent weeks who have both said some version of that. Uh, Oh yeah. 
our buddy from uh, Gearbox is working on Borderlands said basically the the equipment has become so affordable and the the resources are all over the place you can absolutely get into it uh might be harder to break into certain jobs that way of course but mm-hmm. it seems like once you've demonstrated your your uh skill and your command over the training you you can basically do what you're interested in doing at that point right the the thing that has been most i think most useful for me to realize is that just learning how to do just learning how to do the stuff is like that's not a guarantee of a job sure that is just the price of admission that's what you have to know how to do in order to be sort of even considered it is only through developing a really unique style and showing that you have mastery over those concepts and then just being fun to work with. Like that is what is going to get you work. And I didn't realize that when I was in school, I thought, wow, I have this fancy degree. Now, of course I'm going to get straight into game audio, right? Mm-hmm. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> an, an interesting part of that you mentioned is being fun to work with and you've got a lot of glowing reviews on your portfolio site and at some points in time you have a frustrating job and i i wonder how you've sort of like are you j- i mean maybe you're just naturally a fun person to work with and that's awesome but i'm sure you've also got times where the job is difficult and how do you sort of navigate that what i always try to do is I might not do a a full-blown postmortem, but for myself, I like to break each job down by what I did well, things I can improve on, and things that I just straight up screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've definitely had some some difficult jobs where I was the one who was at fault. And at that point, it falls to me to take responsibility for that and say, okay, what could I do differently in order to head this problem off? You know, when I get stuck, sometimes I, I had a little bit of trouble sort of reaching out and saying, look, I'm stuck. Here are the things where I'm really struggling. Do you have any suggestions? Mm -hmm. And I've gotten a lot better about that. But when I have those difficult jobs, you know, my first instinct is to take a step back and try to break down where I'm having that difficulty. Because if I'm not looking at it objectively, I have a tendency of just getting frustrated and that doesn't really help anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And and I think that's uh, definitely useful to a lot of different people because there was a time when I was freelancing just taking uh, programming contracts from Upwork, actually. And mm-hmm. for all the really cool things I got to do, and all the projects we walked away from, like, yeah, we really we really knocked that out of the park. I think the contract I'm maybe not most proud of, but happiest about was one with a school teacher that the project was sort of like, I, I took something on that wasn't really well formed in its requirements, and it required a lot of different things that we weren't really planning for, and that contract ended up falling apart. Like, the, mm-hmm. the person who was working with me just said, I can't. I can't wait any longer. I didn't know we were going to need to do all this stuff, but we walked away from it on positive terms. And I could not mm-hmm. have been happier about that because it was something that I was, you know, I, I was excited to be doing it and helping a teacher out, teaching kids how to read elementary school students, learning how to read and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was so, I was, <laughs> I was just kind of heartbroken that, that things were falling apart, but we worked so closely together and communicated so openly that mm-hmm. when we finally called it quits, it was like, Hey, just the, the timing's wrong at this point. We can't do it. Right. And she was still totally, we were cordial after that. We've spoken several times since then. And I think that's huge uh, communication, especially during when things go bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think that's something that I know audio people in particular really struggle with sometimes because I don't know exactly what it's like in programming. I mean, I know a little bit of programming myself, but I've never worked in it professionally. In music, I know there are lots of people who are out there who can do music, and everyone is very thirsty. Everyone wants <laughs> work. Yeah. Um, which, you know, can't, can't blame you for that. The thing that I think we struggle with is making sure that our people skills are 
on par or even better than our technical skills because yeah. there are lots of I think there is actually a there is a post going through on on Twitter a while back about how audio people tend to send out like tons and tons of just really tone deaf cold emails and I am absolutely guilty of having done the same thing myself i've sent out a ton of those emails and now in retrospect i'm like oh god what was i doing (laughs) yeah but you know like we tend to be a little tone deaf because every single one of us is incredibly thirsty (laughs) yeah no i get that so um that's definitely a a area of growth for a lot of people and i know there are audio devs who are actually really great in doing like professional mentorship. Um, I'm thinking Ariel Gross in particular, he has a mentorship program called, hold on, Gross. I think it's like the Audio Mentorship Project. Yeah, Audio Mentoring Project. It's a cool idea. Yeah, and the thing, the thing that he's trying to do is he's trying to bridge this gap between like a university program, which gives you technical skills, but doesn't really teach you a lot about getting into the industry and working with people and having a contact who is on the inside, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so his project is trying to bridge that gap. And I've spoken with Ariel a number of times. He's sort of checked in on me to see what I'm doing. And I have found that just having that contact, even if I'm not receiving mentorship myself at the moment, just having that contact and knowing that you have someone who's in the industry who is really pulling for you and wants you to succeed and sort of create a culture of continuous enrichment for people down the line. Like that's huge. That is super huge. And I think that's one of the areas where the audio community sort of struggles right now, you know, because there is this disconnect between Okay, now you have these skills. Now go out and try to get a job, contribute to the community, and people are just itching to do it, and they don't really know how to do it tactfully yet. (laughs) And believe it or not, we coders are also not known for our uh, exceedingly professional <laughs> communication at times. Yes. And I, I say that we, you know, we all know people in our, our industries who just greatly break the mold and are just fantastic in a conference room and, and stuff like that. But I think you hit on something really awesome there in the form of mentorship, not just mentorship, but just making yourself available to someone once mm-hmm. you've established yourself in, in a certain position and telling people on their way in, hey, if you've got a question, bounce it off me. Mm-hmm. I have a number of people who feel comfortable doing that with me, and I, I think I think it really is a big deal. And I would have loved to have somebody like that on my way in, too, because there are just these off-the-wall things we get drilled so technically in college, you know, and and in our career training, there isn't enough of that human element to it. And we may have a class called professional development or something like that, but it's stuff like send a thank you letter after an interview. And it's not like if you're thinking about calling someone and saying the following, don't do that, you know? (laughs) Right, 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 right. There's not enough (laughs) of the right elements covered there. And I think sometimes it can only be covered by, having someone who can kind of sanity check you uh, before you go off and do something, or if you're just wondering like the right perspective on something, it's helpful, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely still in contact with uh, some of my my professors from when I was in school, and some of them have moved on, and they are now more industry-focused rather than education. Mm -hmm. Um, so they have moved in a different direction than I have. What I find is really valuable is having that, that community there, even if they're not my direct superior, even if we are considered technically to be competition because we're both looking for work in the same industry. Mm -hmm. Audio, I will say has one of the most welcoming communities I've ever been a part of. Um, the audio community, when you have a question about something, when you're trying to figure out how something works, 
you know, I got my start doing game and media type stuff literally by talking to people on Twitter. That is probably the single most useful tool I have found for connecting with other people in the audio community. And, you know, it kind of blew my mind at first that if you had a question about how someone did something, even on a huge game project, <laughs> you know, you could just send them a tweet and say, hey, I really dig this. How'd you do that? And more often than not, they're like, sure, this is how how I did that. And they'll actually respond to you. That I was not expecting at all. So Twitter, the great liberator. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and I, I think maybe that's an area where audio and programming are a little bit different because programmers don't take to one another very warmly sometimes. And it's it's an issue of uh, insecurity, I think, most of the time. You, you're, you're sort of questioning your own skills, and when somebody starts to uh, boast a little bit or show something off, it's like, oh, I could do that, I bet. You're not so great. <laughs> well, I, I definitely think there's an aspect of that, which is true in, in audio. Um, there's a composer, Ryan Ike. I think I'm saying his right his his name correctly i'm gonna feel like an idiot if that's not the actual pronunciation um but he had a thread the other day where he was talking about jealousy and like fear of missing out and that other people are talking about the great things that they're doing and getting over the fact that you might be feeling jealous and i i felt that thread so much I know exactly what he's talking about, because when I got out of school, I had done an internship in Los Angeles. And then instead of staying in Los Angeles, I moved back to Chicago and I fell into something of a rut for like a year. Oh, yeah. And all of my friends who were out in Los Angeles, they're working with like top tier composers. We're talking like Harry Gregson Williams. We're talking... um, who else? Danny Elfman. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like, this is the A-list. They're working for these people. They're learning from these people. And I was just flabbergasted that they were having all this success. And I wasn't. And it took a lot of, how to say this? It took me learning to be more humble about it and realizing that they have some skills that I just don't have. And I have some skills that they probably don't have. Right. And it's not it's not a good look, but it's also not how I want to be to be jealous of them exercising the skills that they're really good at to the best of their ability. So yeah. nowadays, I try to focus much more on what about my sound is completely unique that my friends don't do and how can... I signal boost them when they're doing something that they do way better than I do. And then there are some opportunities where those skills that they have, I need because I don't have them. So there's, um, I would say that the audio community, especially among composers tends to be very collaborative because they say there's something you can do that I can't do. Can we do a swap? Can I hire you for a session? Can we do this, that, and the other? And for the most part, people are pretty darn accommodating. And I think that's a very enlightened approach to the, the differences between each person because we're all in different places. We've all focused on different things. And if we can look at, yeah, where am I? Where are you? And can we meet in the middle somewhere? Mm-hmm. Well, then then it's it's almost all positive at that point. And I think really just the the problems we have with that in, in coding and uh, game development to some degree are probably just a holdover from those feelings you have when you're on your way in, you're trying to break in, you're trying to get established, and everything feels like survival. You know, if right. I can't do this, I have to go learn accounting, or I have to go and uh, work in the kitchen, and I don't want to go back there. And so it, it does, it feels much more intense and there's this, this burning sensation about it. But once you're sort of comfortable where you are, I think it is a lot easier to look at people and say, you know, I have this value, you have that value. Great. Good for you. I'm so happy for you. you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And more than anything, it was just realizing that the more you hang on to that feeling of resentment, like 
I I forget the exact phrase, but resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Like, oh, right. yeah, yeah. Like it's just it doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, you know what? That is a whole lot of negativity that I literally do not have time or energy for. Right. Got enough problems. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, uh, boy, a little time has passed already. So I want to talk about what was your last big project you did? So most recently, it was not actually a game project. Uh, I did the theme music for a Twitch streamer. So I had received a message from him a while back asking for me to do the theme music for his stream. Um, he was looking for something that would sort of capture the the spirit of his community and then... I mean, I had done I had done a few little things for his stream before, just me capturing bits of audio from the stream and then turning them into funny meme type songs. Mm-hmm. And this is one where he said, you know, I'm I'm looking for something a little bit more serious. I'm looking for something that is related to this other song in terms of style. And then he sent me a link to that song to listen to and then sort of map everything out. And then I actually put a call out on Twitter a while back asking for singers and sort of voice people who were interested in contributing to the project. And I got a number of people who were interested, got some recordings from them, threw them into the session, mixed it all down, and it just sounded great. Nice. And and it's kind of a cool new outlet that wasn't really around uh, previously, sort of as, as radio starts to tone down, Twitch streamers are, are taking off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I never really thought about that as a place for a composer to work, but it makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, think of it like, like anything else. You have people who are regularly creating content it needs audio it needs audio that is specifically cleared for use so um, part of what i do is i include as part of my contracts a a lifetime license for whatever i produce i mean within within reason if they're looking to use that in like a game because i know there are a number of streamers who are game developers as well like if they wanted to use that in something outside of the stream we would have to talk again but as it pertains to them broadcasting for a live audience like i just give them a lifetime license and then they don't have to worry about copyright strike or anything yeah um which would be a big deal you know, and there's there's so many opportunities if you sort of have an open mind and you are looking for them. And the thing is that you don't get that sort of thing by just randomly dropping into someone's stream and saying, oh, I can do this. Let me do that for you. Right. By the time Sacriel asked me to do this, I had been a member of the community for about a year and a half. So, you know, it's something where... I was very much part of the community before that even came up. And again, I, I, I think it kind of comes back to the issue that audio people have with being a little tone deaf and not knowing sort of like when you are, I don't want to say allowed, but when it is considered appropriate to bring up what you do. Because yeah. you don't want to just randomly drop into someone's stream and say, hey, let me do this for you. Pay me. Like, <laughs> it's just rude. And I, as much as possible, I try not to. I mean, networking is such a, a weird word. I'm not against it exactly. But I think that it is more genuine to say, I want to do work for people whose creative output I admire. And I want to, you know, I want to contribute. And so that sort of thing does not happen overnight. Right. And I can tell you on the other side of that, I've, I've had close friends who are audio guys and, and sound designers and different things. And for example, like the first time I worked on a podcast, I had a friend who listened to the first episode and hit me up and was like, and this is a close friend. I didn't mind at all that he talked to me, but he was like, you know, I listened to that. You guys have the following problems. I'd love to come work on this podcast. And I was like, 
buddy, I'd love to have you, but this, this thing already costs me like negative 30 bucks a month. You know, mm-hmm. like, there's just, right. there's just no room and no way for me to get that done. But it was like, it's, it's tough. Cause a lot of times we would like to hire people with that expertise. And that's why I think you see a lot of people tackling things on their own that they shouldn't necessarily be doing. It's just, there's no room in that budget, you know? Right. Yeah. I definitely hear that. <laughs> <laughs> When you do work in game projects, do you tend to work with the same people or has it been sort of a variety? I've had sort of a variety. I have a number of projects that are sort of waiting for me to jump in. You know, audio is one of those areas where it can go either way. You can have people who want the audio sort of working at the very beginning, which I recommend. Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely think that the sooner you get audio into the pipeline and the sooner you are hearing and seeing and feeling the game as it's going to be, the better it's going to feel. And then I've definitely also had projects where, you know, someone's working on something and then it's at the very end and they say, okay, we need audio now. And then you just kind of like you're you're busting your butt for however long to get everything done and then get it implemented and do whatever like fine tuning you need to do. I don't recommend that. It kind of sucks. It it seems like someone's at an advantage either way, because either Mm -hmm. you're seeing the truest form of the game or they're hearing the game while they work on it. And it seems like a a tough thing to do both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was um, I want to say. If you've ever seen the movie uh, Perfume Story of a Murderer, I think what they did was they recorded the whole score with just like sort of a a small chamber ensemble. Mm -hmm. And then they piped that music onto the sets as they were filming it. And so the actors were responding to the music. It's just an incredible movie and an incredible score. Maybe one of my favorites. Hmm. And I thought that was... That's sort of like the pinnacle of how I would like to work. I would like to work on a project where music and the other production areas were integrated that seamlessly. Yeah, that would be incredible. <laughs> if, that, if that was a standard of some kind, that would be amazing. I mean, I don't I don't see that as ever being a standard just because, you know, usually what ends up happening is you have to get things to a certain point before you start implementing music, and then when you start implementing music, it it starts changing things mm-hmm. from within the project. And so then you have to make a decision. Are we going to change the project so it sort of better fits the style of the music? Or do we want to start cutting things from the music to better fit the project? And that depends from person to person, like yeah. what, what they end up wanting to do. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the work with Output that you're doing. Okay. Um, I don't work for Output directly. I work for a studio called Outlier Studios. The owner of that studio, uh, his name is Daniel Cherlitza, and he's an incredible composer. I love his work. He's worked in film, and he also, he and his team over at Outlier, they do a lot of trailer scoring for Mm. Netflix. Oh, cool. So yeah, like they've they've done a ton of that, and that's something I'm I'm interested in getting into myself. But right now, the only thing that I'm working on for them is sort of sample design, and I got into that sort of accidentally because I was not specifically looking for a job. Mm-hmm. Daniel and I are both members of a composer group on Facebook, and we started chatting after we were talking on one of the posts and you know you ever have one of those moments where you just really hit it off with someone and it feels like you've known them for a long time yeah it kind of yeah. felt like that so we started sharing music and he really enjoyed the fact that i was sort of an oddity in film scoring because i came from a vocal background mm-hmm. rather than piano or guitar or any number of other things like those are probably the two most common um vocalists as composers tend to be fairly uncommon i can see that yeah like in it's it's funny in in school there's sort of this this stereotype that singers really aren't all that smart (laughs) and we always say that we have to scoop our brains out because we need the space for resonance anyway 
So, <laughs> I mean, you know, and they're they're kind of accurate, but singers tend not to be composers as well. Um, that tends to be more like the pianists or um, the guitarist who is doing like rock scores or any number of other things. Singers tend not to do that. And so when I was chatting with Dan, he and I really hit it off and he appreciated the fact that the sounds I was producing were really different because I was using my voice as an instrument and not as a vehicle for text. So I was looking for ways of turning my voice into something weird and wonderful that wasn't me spitting words at him. <laughs> and from that, we ended up doing just this monster project. I think the end result was something like 1,700 individual loops. Wow. Yeah, like it's, <laughs> it, was a, it was a ton of work. It was a ton of work. Four designers, 1,700 loops, and, you know... It was really useful for me to do that project because it actually taught me a lot about how to do things for game audio. There's a lot of back and forth things that you learn from one job to the other that you're able to turn around and immediately apply somewhere else. So that's sort of what I've been getting out of that job in addition to just the paycheck. Sure. It's it's cool. It seems like a nice addition to your uh, professional network for sure and certainly uh, interesting experience as well. Oh yeah. Again, it's one of those things where you don't expect what exactly you'll end up doing and you just have to sort of roll with the punches and then you never know where you'll end up doing things. Yeah. And I've got to ask about this. I saw some, I saw your name attached to was it a Star Wars fan film? Yes, it was a Star Wars fan film. That was what was my, going on there? That was my first attempt at scoring a... It was a full feature-length film. Right. Um, I had no... Like, I, I knew how to do it, but working on a feature-length film, everything has to go a lot farther, and you don't realize how much music you're actually going to be writing until you actually are doing it. So that was a learning experience for me. I just reached out to to the uh, director pretty randomly on IMDb and said, hey, I see that you're working on this project. I really love Star Wars. I'd be interested in doing this. And he shot back to me and saying, yeah, why don't why don't you go ahead and score a scene and we'll we'll take a look and see what you're doing. And then, you know, we've we've been in touch. I've I've contributed music to a few other things um that they've done, but that was sort of my it's that was my entrance to long form film scoring. And, <laughs> you know, I go back and listen to it every now and again and all I can hear are my warts now. So I'm like, <laughs> Oh god, did I really do that? I could do that so much better now. <laughs> Well, you can imagine my surprise when I was uh, sort of looking at, at the work you do and I saw Star Wars scroll by in the list. I was like, sorry, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked yeah. into it and it was still like extremely cool to see. I was, I was uh -huh. like, how many people can say they've done this? No, um, Star Wars is, is, I think maybe working on a Star Wars game is one of my Desert Island like bucket list projects. I would love to work in the star Wars universe, because I, th I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of those composers who, you know, like so many other people, they listen to the star Wars score and that's what got them into scoring. But in my case, it like, it absolutely is the case. I listen to John Williams work and I'm not even close to John Williams in terms of style. Like working with that much brass, working with that much orchestra is really not necessarily my jam. Right. But I just responded so strongly to the work that that was kind of the impetus for me saying, you know, maybe I could do this. Yeah. And I'm sure most people don't uh, just sort of devote their whole life to developing that kind of punch you in the face, impactful music. Uh, he's just got such a refined style about him, but it's just so intense. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and part of the benefit of being a silly junior high musician was we got to play some of his music a couple of times, and it was actually really fun for junior high kids to be thinking about Star Wars and playing this super intense music. I mean, it doesn't really get any better than that. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm I'm also a very big fan of that, and I would un- unless somebody picks me up to code on a Star Wars game, I would never get anywhere close to that. So that's very cool. <laughs> so uh, tell me, what's the difference between now and what you hope for for the future for yourself? I mean, are you very comfortable the way things are, or is there anything you're working toward? What's it look like? Uh, I would say that I'm number one. I'm looking to get out of the studio more. Mm-hmm. I have, and I'm sure this is not just me, this is something that a lot of audio people or just people in general run into in that I am such a huge homebody. (laughs) And so, like, trying to motivate myself to get out the door to meet new people, you know, that's something I struggle with. And really, for games and for just about any other industry, you know, technical skill being able to show that you can do whatever it is, that's only part of it. The other part is people. Yeah. And, you know, showing that you are a real human being, you, you know, you enjoy having a good time and going out and hanging out um, just like everyone else to a, to a point, you know, and that's something that, that I struggle with. So in terms of things I would like to be working toward, I would like to be, more involved with the local game industry here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I know there's um, there's Nether Realm, which is probably the biggest yeah. biggest name in Chicago. Um, there are the Young Horses who are here. Um, they did Octodad, which to this day is one of my my favorite games. When I want to frustrate myself, I have played it, and I didn't know they were in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget who all is working at at the Young Horses, but you know their their game is incredible. Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm terrible at those sorts of games, but it's always wacky fun for me to try it anyway. Right. Yeah, they're probably uh, one of the more recognizable Chicago names. There are a number of others, I'm sure. I think in terms of career aspirations, my goal is at the moment. I'm looking to write a whole bunch of just music for placement in media. And the reason for that is it takes off a lot of financial pressure that I have to be making X number of dollars per month or else I'm not paying my rent, you know. And music is one of those things where you can you can very, I'm not going to say easily, but you can produce these pieces of music. They get licensed for, um, you know, advertisement and trailer and whatever. And you can make a pretty decent living just from that. Sure. But the reason why I would like to do that is then it gives me freedom. Um, and apologies, that's my my dog in here. Hi, doggy. <laughs> you know, it gives you it gives you freedom to be able to do what you want to take more time on sort of the custom projects you're working on and to create something that you are really proud of. And that I think is where I would like to be going in the future. I would like to have that financial freedom to say, yes, I want to contribute music to this game. I realize you're not going to pay me X number of dollars up front. I'm willing to take less than that to contribute to something that I really feel strongly about. That's where I want to be. Very cool. And, and it makes good sense to, you know, you're establishing yourself as a resource that anybody can come to. And that's, uh, that's good for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, everybody wins for, uh, for that. I totally get what you mean about having that desire to be a little bit more connected with the people doing what you do and the area that you do it in. Mm-hmm. When I'm, when I left full-time development to go indie for one thing, I had sort of worked on small teams to begin with for a lot of my career. So I was usually off in some corner doing my own thing anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had some jobs where I wouldn't talk to anybody all day. (laughs) Like I would just come in and do my thing. And a couple, every once in a while I would realize I didn't talk to anybody today, (laughs) which is uh, sort of funny and sort of sad though. I'm, I'm naturally somewhat of a homebody too. And Mm -hmm. I, I enjoy working in my office, but eventually I was like, yeah, that, that human element, which is important for, you as an individual, as well as what you're doing, that that can't really be overlooked. So in my case, for one thing, I started the podcast as a means of sort of connecting with people I would have never had access to anyway. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, yeah, we have a little bit of a community of 
indie developers and some professionals here in St. Louis also, which has been a really nice way to sort of connect with what I'm doing and the people doing it around me. So Mm -hmm. for, for people who are in that situation, I would say definitely look around because there's probably a group of people who are just, just sort of waiting to talk to. Yeah. Probably one of my, one of my favorite things in Chicago was finding there's a group of like Chicago game audio people and they do a meetup every few months at just one of the bars mm-hmm. um, up in one of the neighborhoods. And that is one of my favorite meetups. I've gotten to go there a number of times. And it's always just so much fun getting to spend time talking with people who are sort of in that crowd. And my goal is to be spending more time working with uh, developers and not just audio people. Yeah. But I definitely know that like getting to spend time with the audio community is just super great. They're great people and you don't want to get so into your own little bubble that you can't go outside, meet new people and have a good time. And you never know when meeting those people in your sort of extended network is going to lead to different places that was uh how i actually picked up a film was by going to one of those one of those meetups and just hit it off with someone randomly who was looking for music for his film and i ended up scoring that film last summer nice yeah the opportunity is usually out there you just have to be in the right place Right. Um, and that place is outside the studio. That place is outside in general. Yes. <laughs> so, um, is there anything we can look forward to from you in the near future? Oh man. Uh, I have a couple things that I'm working on right now. So one thing that I've been doing outside the realm of, Oh my goodness. This is my, my dog letting me know that it is, it is lunchtime. Um, <laughs> One of the things I've been working on outside the realm of game audio is I've been putting together offerings for Sonic branding, which is very exciting for me. Essentially creating sound logos for companies that are looking to expand either their radio or their internet advertising presence. That's cool. Yeah, and when when you think about how much things are going to like smart speakers and voice command and that sort of thing. Like there's a lot more opportunity for audio content to take a sort of a leading role. And if you look at companies that are doing this, there are like the big ones like car manufacturers and McDonald's with their, their little jingle. Yeah. But then you look at a whole lot of other companies that could really benefit from this and they're just not doing it so that is my opportunity to say look here is a skill that i have here are some examples of me taking an existing community and then creating sort of a a sonic life for it and then people in that community respond very strongly it becomes uh, sort of inextricably linked with their community's identity. And that's the sort of offering I'd like to be presenting. So that's one thing. Very cool. The other thing that I've been working on is at the moment, it's kind of unannounced. Um, there's a lot of legwork left to do. Um, but I have been doing a series of uh, Legend of Zelda retrospective arrangements. So they're not exactly covers of these pieces Mm -hmm. they include quotations of the exact material but then a lot of it is me just taking that material and seeing how far it will stretch i love that sort of taking my take on the legend of zelda because i've been a huge zelda fan for years and years and years i actually started with the n64 and then i went back and played other other games in the series oh interesting yeah 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 it was sort of a it started out as my my love letter to uh ocarina of time because some of my favorite pieces of game audio come from ocarina of time and i've always wanted to do 
sort of a cover album of these tunes. And then the more I was thinking about it, the more I realized, you know, music is actually pretty integral for the entire Zelda series. So I've been digging into these soundtracks and listening to just some incredible music and then having to, honestly, the hardest part is having to nail it down to just 12 or 13 tracks because there are so many that I want to do. It's true. Yeah. (laughs) It's really difficult, (laughs) but that is a super cool project and I'm, I'm going to be interested in checking that out for sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. Where can people follow you to hear more about that when it comes up? Probably the easiest way would be to check out my Twitter, since whenever I'm working on a project, I tend to post about it on there. Uh, the other place would be, um, once it is released, would be my Bandcamp, and that is uh, stephentanksley.bandcamp.com. Okay. And that has, at the moment, that's going to be reorganized, because right now it's serving the function mostly as a portfolio. My goal is to transition it from being a portfolio site to just a site where I am selling my work. And then it'll be available also on Spotify, iTunes, basically any streaming service or storefront. Very cool. Well, uh, this has been fascinating. I know people are going to enjoy this, and uh, I will encourage them to check out your your Twitter and your uh, work online. I think it's going to be great. All right, cool. Thank you, Todd. This has been great. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you to our guests. If you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, you can subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are found. If you want to go further, you can check out what we're doing at patreon.com slash play. Look at some opportunities that our listeners get that nobody else gets. Follow the fun at CodeWritePlay.com where we post show notes and more fun stuff. And we're always working on new shows to bring you new articles, new site content, you name it. So keep an eye out. We'll talk to you soon. Mario and Ken were throwing the sign peace. America was playing real like Zaxxon in the Middle East. But no matter how much my neighbor said the world would end, I was determined to play Missile Command till the end. I wasn't a normal child who played with yak backs and crayons. Cause I liked how that track ball felt like the world in my hands. Each star was a space invader. The sky was Gallica. Every day was a boss fight. The soundtrack was Metallica. This was back when the only snakes in my life were on Cupid.